Hey, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 10. So we continue our series highlighting different moments in the book of 1 Samuel. I want to begin by reading verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to just pause and ask for God's blessing upon his word. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, that is on Saul's head, and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go from there further and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gibeah Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Father, as we come to your word, we pray, Father, you will instill in our hearts a message of truth and a message of trust. Help us, Father, as we encounter this and see how you work in this passage, that it will apply and speak to our hearts where we are today, to the situations, to the challenges, to the opportunities we have in front of us today. Lord, Holy Spirit, we pray that you will minister to our hearts, and we pray as always that Jesus Christ will be lifted up in our affections, in our thoughts, in our hearts. We commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The overall theme of 1 Samuel can be summed up really in these words, trusting God. It's a book about trusting God and those who don't trust God. We, it opens with Hannah praying from a heavy heart for a daughter or for a son and asking God to give her a child. And so she's praying, she's pouring out her heart, she has this interaction with Eli and she gets up with peace in her heart because she knows God has heard her prayers. Before anything has been answered, she has peace because she trusts that God has heard her prayers. And sure enough, she conceives and Samuel is born. Now in the same time, we have a group of men we see who are not trusting God, Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli. And they are, they are bilking 
the temple and they are bilking God's people out of their offerings and abusing their position. And we know the story, we walked through it, how they brought the Ark of the Covenant out, trusting that maybe if they throw a little religion on their sin, that, that that all will be well and it does not go well and they die. But God raises up Samuel as a faithful prophet, as a faithful judge of Israel, and he judges them. And he, while Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, through their leadership, led Israel away from trusting God, Samuel then stands strong and calls them back to trusting God, back to repentance, back to loving God and doing away with idols. But then we read in chapter eight, Samuel's now getting old. It happens to all of us, amen? I mean, it just happens. Um, and Samuel's getting old. He's getting old enough where he appoints his two sons to be leaders, but these men are not good men. They're taking bribes, they're perverting justice, and rightfully so, Israel becomes concerned. But here is what Tim shared a couple of weeks ago in his message. Rather than trust God in this situation and call upon God, they take matters into their own hands. Have you ever done that? Have you ever taken matters into your own hands when you're concerned about something? They take matters into their own hands, they go to Samuel and they demand a king. They say, we want an earthly king. And in doing so, they are, God says, rejecting God because he is their king. This brings us to chapter 10. And as we read last week, donkey, uh, uh, Saul is looking for his donkeys and he comes across Samuel. And here in chapter 10, Samuel pulls Saul aside privately and he anoints him with oil as the new king of Israel. What I want to point out in this message today is that Saul has just had a heavy weight laid upon his shoulders. You see, he knew that being king didn't mean he just got to sit on a throne and, and tell people what to do. Saul is anointed and appointed by God to lead his people against the Philistines, to deliver his people from the Philistines. And so Saul, is now gonna be carrying the weight of real-time life and death decisions in the midst of battle. He's gonna be carrying the responsibility of inspiring courage in a demoralized people. He is now carrying the weight of leading Israel through a difficult season. And it's a heavy weight that is put on Saul's shoulders. He didn't want it, he didn't ask for it, he wasn't looking for it. And so to encourage Saul that God is truly in this, Samuel prophesies three signs that are gonna show that this is from God. The first sign is, Samuel says, you're gonna be walking back as you reach Rachel's tomb. Two men will meet you there. And they will tell you that your father is no longer worried about the donkeys. He's not worried about you. The donkeys have been found. Now think about the exact timing of that. That they would be there, arrive there. At the same time, he would arrive there. And this would be their message. <clears throat> the second sign is similar, but even more precise. As he continues on, he will reach the tree of Tabor and there will be three men coming, carrying goats and bread and wine. 
And one of them will offer two of the loaves of bread to Saul. Now what God does here is he makes the details far too exact, far too precise to simply be a coincidence. How long does it take to walk past a tree? I mean, for the timing, so he's setting out from here and he's traveling. They're setting out from another place and they're traveling. What does God have to arrange to have his leave departure time, his rate of, this sounds like a, like a, a math quiz, isn't it? <laughs> Two prophets were walking towards the tree of Tabor at the same rate. What kind of mathematical calculations does it have to take <clears throat> to have them arrive at the tree at the same time? But more than that, he then says, it's not just going to be, there's going to be someone there. If I, if I said to you, go to Walmart and in aisle three, there's going to be someone there, that's not going to impress you. He says it's going to be three people, and this is what they're going to be carrying, and this is what one of them is going to do, give you two loaves of bread. This is not coincidence. This is beginning to stir in Saul's heart a sense of faith. God is in this. God is in this. By the way, I th God is asking Saul to step into a role, into something so big. I think when we sense that God is speaking to us something that is life-altering, we want to ask God to give us confirmation, stronger confirmation than we would want for smaller changes. But the third sign is a double sign. He says, as you come to Gibeah, and it's important. Remember, Saul's job is going to be leading Israel against their oppressors, the Philistines. That's what chapter 9 tells us, to deliver Israel from the hand of those that are basically have their boot on Israel's neck. As he comes to Gibeah, you will be under the shadow of an outpost of the Philistines. You're going to be under that shadow, and you are going to come as a procession of prophets come, so there's that timing thing again. But more than that, God says, the power of the Spirit of God is going to come upon you. And you will be changed. You will be a different man. And he begins to prophesy when this happens. Because God is saying the old Saul can't do this job. I'm going to make you a new Saul. I'm going to make you a different person who can do the job. So God gives Saul these signs to help Saul trust that God is in this crazy, unexpected, unwanted new season of life he is entering. And I want to apply that to our lives as we unpack this chapter further. Because Whatever season we're in, whatever circumstances we find that we're facing, whether good or bad, challenging or not, wanted or unwanted, God wants us to learn to trust him in that season. Trust him in the calling he may be calling us into. And so what I want to point out is the first test of trust that Saul encounters is one of the hard tests 
It's waiting, waiting. Look at me at verse 8. After all these signs happen, Samuel says, Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. Yeah, I just want to say this. Waiting is hard on our trust in God. Waiting is hard on our trust in God, and it's also really good for it. It's really good for developing our trust in God. You see, Samuel says to Saul, you will be king. You will be the king of Israel. Now I want you to wait and watch what God does. Saul didn't go on an elect me as king of Israel tour. He didn't go around saying, I, let me be your king. He just waited. The process is all God, nothing Saul. Just wait, Samuel says. I want to submit to you, waiting can be one of the hardest seasons to be in. Amen? It is one of the hardest things on our trust because it means we have no control. We have no control. It's a lot easier to trust God when we have some control. Amen? We have some control over it in a situation. If we're about to go on a long trip and we ask God and we trust God for traveling mercies, but then what do we do? We get in the car and we grab that steering wheel and we drive carefully. And we're trusting God for traveling mercies, but it's a lot easier when our hands are on the steering wheel to trust God. It's a lot easier to trust God as our provider when we have a secure job, we're making good money and we've got money in the savings account and we're still trusting God, amen? But it's easier to trust God in that place. It's easier to trust God with our kids that they will be spiritually healthy and they will do well when they're doing well and they're on the right road and they're following Jesus and we're trusting God. But when we aren't steering, when we don't have any job prospect and our savings is dwindling to nothing, when our kids are going in the wrong direction and seem to be turning away from God, turning away from the word of God, and there's nothing we can do except wait for God to do. It's hard on our trust. And it's good for our trust because waiting in this concept is not a passive waiting, it's an active waiting. It is leaning in, in prayer to God. God, would you do this? God, I need a job. I'm doing what I can do, but I can't make that door open. God, we need provision. Would you provide what is needed? Father, would you bring the prodigal back to you? I can't run out and grab them, but would you reach out 
and bring them back to the fold. It is leaning in in prayer. It is leaning in and depending. I can't do this. What, me king? Me step into this role? Me do this? I can't do it. God, would you do it? It's leaning in in prayer. It's leaning in on dependency. It's, it's developing muscles that really do trust God. See, I could say, I trust God, and then get in the, behind the wheel, and I'm steering. And, and, you know, how much of our trust is really just that I'm a good driver? If the brakes go out, the steering goes out. Now I'm trusting God. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. But we're learning to trust in both the power and in the trustworthiness of our God in places of waiting. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12. Listen to this. I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. We're not going to spend a lot of time unpacking that, but that is a massive. Paul is saying, I am convinced. I know him. I know who I'm believing. I know who I'm trusting. I know that I have entrusted everything to him, but I am convinced he is able to guard it, to keep it safe, to make it all right until that day. So he is believing. He is entrusting God. He is waiting until that day. It's all there. Waiting is hard on our trust in God, but it's also good for it. When we don't have control, and maybe you're in a situation you don't have control. I mean, you really don't have control. Lean into how that can strengthen the roots of your trust in God in beautiful ways because God loves you, he cares about you, he is powerful, he is faithful, he is trustworthy. Lean in and let those roots grow deep. Second application I want to make from this as we move on in the chapter, trust God to take us from a bad place to a good place when we turn to him. Now I want us to read in verse 17, jump down to verse 17 of 1 Samuel uh, verse 10, chapter 10. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. What God is saying is, I was your king. I delivered you. Verse 19, but today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. There is something so encouraging in this passage because God reminds the people once again that they're in this place. They are here because they rejected God as their king. That's what got them to this place. It was a bad thing that got them here. But even though they rejected God's rule over them, God is ready to be good to them. God is ready to be kind and to bring them to a good place. He's such a good king. Now this is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, the true king, the ultimate king, who advanced his kingdom through rejection. 
Psalm 118 says, The stones the builders rejected has become the capstone. The religious leaders, the Jewish crowds, they rejected Jesus as their Messiah. They hung him on a cross. And their rejection of Jesus became the very means by which Jesus saved us. Their bad became our good. God brought good out of evil. We can get into bad places. We can reject God's plan and his will for us. Now, I want to say this. If someone dies rejecting Jesus, there is no hope for their soul. They will enter a Christless eternity. But up until that last breath, no matter where they are, no matter where you are, no matter where I am, we can turn and we can be taken from a bad place by our good king to a good place. It doesn't matter how far from God we might be. It doesn't matter how deep into the darkness we may have wandered, how messed up we have gotten our lives. God can get us to a good place from where we are. Now, I'm not saying that if we're in a bad place, it's because we've rejected God. I'm not saying that at all. We can end up in bad places because other people sin. We can end up in bad places because God's got lessons for us in the wilderness. But we also can end up in bad places because we disobey God. We turn from God's will. We reject him as king for some reason, some point, some decision in our life. What I want to say is no matter where we are, we can get to God's best for us from that point. When we repent, we turn back to God and we trust him and we obey him. I really love the story of the thief on the cross. I love that story. But I want to think about it a little differently. How this thief hanging on the cross could have re just regretted his life Looking back, all the missed opportunities, whatever harm he had done to others, he, there was no way for him to go back and undo that. He couldn't make things right with his wife. He couldn't make things right with his children. He couldn't make amends for what he stole. He's nailed to a cross. He's got hours to live. And yet, when he turned to Jesus, and he said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom, King Jesus. Jesus turned to him and said, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. You see how Jesus brought him from a horrible place to indescribably beautiful place. But there's something more to that. Because that story isn't just the story of a man who messes up big time and leaves a shattered life, but God saves him for eternity. No, it's, there's more than that. Yes, Jesus saved him for eternity, but Jesus also redeemed his life to glorify God through the ages. 
so that thousands of years later, we're talking about him. His life became a testimony of what God can do in a last moments of life for a criminal. Isn't that beautiful? I don't care where we end up when we turn to God. Even when we've rejected his will, when we turn back to him, he can get us to the very best place he has for us. Third point I want to bring to us is trust God to enable and empower us to do whatever he calls us to do. If he calls you to do it, he'll provide the power to do it. Verse 20. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clan. So he's choosing who's going to be king, but he already knows who's king, who's going to be king, and Saul already knows who's going to be king, but he's going through this random drawing. It's like a lottery. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And then Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But listen to this. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there still a man to come? And the Lord said, this is kind of embarrassing. Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. He's, he's in the luggage. He's with the luggage. <clears throat> they get to Saul. They look around. And he's not there. He's hiding in the luggage. Now, people try to figure out, what does that mean? Like, what's in Saul's heart? Why is he hiding in the luggage? He knew he was going to be the king. This is not a surprise to him. Why is he hiding in the luggage? Some people say he was hiding in the luggage because he was humble. Um, I'm not going to argue. Maybe Saul was humble at this time. I think there's indication he may have been humble, although pride would become his problem. And that happens often with people who start out well humble. They get pride. So I'll grant you that he might have been humble at this point in time. But I don't think he's hiding in the luggage out of humility. Like humility is humility, but it's not hiding in the luggage. I think he's hiding in the luggage because he felt inadequate to be king. He felt inadequate to do and to be what God had called him to do and to be. He's looking at what the job entails. And he's looking at who he is. And he's saying, I'm not the man for this job. I don't want this job. Maybe if I hide, they'll move on to someone else. He's thinking, I'm not the man. And you know what? He's absolutely right. He's not the man. Which is why God said, I will turn you into a different man. My spirit will change you. God would enable him to do what God had called him to do. Saul was calling, or God was calling Saul to lead a weak and demoralized nation against a powerful Philistine nation who were stomping all over them. And God promised, I will give you the power to lead them to do the job and to fight this fight. I wonder, have you ever felt inadequate for what God is calling you to do? Have you ever felt like hiding behind the luggage when God says, I have a job for you? That is a great place. When you feel inadequate to do what God's called you to do, that's a great place to trust God. That is an amazingly great place to trust God. At the seminar we had last week, the Breaking the Silence seminar, Faith, Faith Ingram shared how 
she hated public speaking. She feared public speaking. And yet, God called her to a ministry where she has to speak publicly. And she has had to find God and his empowerment in that place where she feels inadequate and God's called her to do it. And God has empowered her to be a voice for others who don't have a voice. God might call you, he might call me to do something we don't feel able to do. That is a great place to trust God. When he calls, he enables. It might be sharing the gospel with somebody at work. It might be like faith, being a voice for those who don't have a voice. I'm going to inject a burden here that I just got this, this week from just reading a news uh, situation and watching some video. But just earlier this month, a beautiful teenage girl committed suicide because she was being bullied ruthlessly by many people in her school. Now, that is tragic. But this bullying was not a one-off. This is a pattern in this school. This is, uh, 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 this is something going on in this school. And it was painful to watch a, a portion of a school meeting where parents and students stood up to the mic and, and with all their hearts begged the school to do something because bullying was an ongoing thing. There was a group of bullies that just went from kid to kid. And they can bully today not only physically, and they do. I just read another article about somebody that got choked and punched and in, in school. But they can also then, perhaps even more ruthlessly, bully online. Social media. And I think that's what, what it was for this young girl. These parents and these students stood up and gave voice. And I hope and pray that somebody in that school board stands up and says, we're going to take this seriously. We're going to do what we need to do. Because there are people who don't have a voice. And they need people who stand up and have a voice and speak out. And I'm not talking about being angry, although in that situation, I would be so emotional. I'm not talking about being disrespectful, but I'm talking about speaking out with truth and with firmness. People need to fight for the helpless and the oppressed. And you say, I don't want to. Moms and dads, listen, we need to stand up and be willing to fight for the souls of our kids today. And I, again, I'm not saying being angry, being disrespectful, building relationships with our kids. But we've got to understand with social media and an increasingly hostile culture to Christianity and to biblical truth, our kids are being bombarded with stuff that we, you know, who are older didn't have growing up. And it's influencers and, and voices that are guiding their lives and then pressure, you gotta believe this and or you'll be rejected and you'll be mocked on mass scales and all, all the, I'm glad I'm not young today. But moms and dads and everybody, we need to stand up and speak truth. Be a loving, 
but firm, clear voice for truth. When our kids are younger, we need to protect them from the destructive influences as much as we can. When they get older, we need to speak truth to them. We need to love them. We need to pray for them. We need to wait that God does it because when they get older, we don't have the kind of control that we have when they're younger. That takes the wisdom of Solomon. But what I want to impress upon our hearts for this or any other calling like that that God may put in you is we may not want to be confrontational. I don't like confrontation. I don't want to get into this. I just want to, I just want to go to the luggage and peace out. But we can't. We can't. God calls us to fight the good fight for their souls, for other people's souls, for the soul of our nation, for the soul of our culture. We can't write it off. We can't isolate ourselves. We can't just say, I, I want nothing to do. We have got to say, God, put me on a, put me on a point. <clears throat> Give me a way to fight for the gospel. And you know me well enough to know I don't mean that as getting on social media and ranting and raving. I mean being a light for Christ. All right. By the way, this inadequate place, I don't want to be or do. It, it can also be not just a calling or a role that God calls us into. It can also be a season that God calls us into. <clears throat> God may bring us into a season of life that we don't feel adequate for. We might be in a winter season and we just long for spring to come, but winter drags on and on and things seem dead and bleak and hopeless. And trusting God in a difficult season can be one of the hardest places to trust God. But it can be the very place where our roots, our faith, our trust goes deeper. So I want to encourage you, if you're in that place, here's what I want encourage you to be. I've been there a few times in my life. Take walks. Talk with God. Take walks in nature. And pour out your heart to God, honestly. But let's remember that always, and lament is a beautiful part of our prayer life with God, crying to God, calling upon God, lamenting. But like the psalmists do, let's always bend it upwards at the end. God, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't feel I have enough strength. I don't, can't make this. God, what are you doing? I cry. My heart is banging this and that. But soul, yet will I trust him. Bring it up to faith. And the next day, do it again. Because you'll be crying out and lament again. And then, yet will I trust him. You might want to journal your journey. Trusting that God has a testimony for you at the end of the season. A testimony of his faithfulness and goodness so that you can sing, it is well with my soul. So, if that's hitting you somewhere, get out of the luggage and go to God. Get, go to God. Last point, I'm going to make this super quick because we're going to probably cover this a little more in the following passages. But I want to just share this. Trusting God means listening to what God says more than listening to what people say. Trusting God may, it means listening to God and what he says more than what 
listening to what people say. Listen to what people are saying about Saul in verse 23. And when he stood among the people, Saul, so they find him in the baggage. Um, not a good start. But when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel, even Samuel gets in on this. Samuel said to all the people, do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. Even Samuel's impressed by his looks. If we had more time, we could talk about the difference between hiding in the baggage and facing Goliath. David didn't look the part. Saul did. But in this moment, they're looking at Saul, and he's an incredible specimen. He's like Gaston in uh, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Long live the king, all the people shouted. Saul hears that. All the people shouted, Long live the king. But maybe not all the people, because jump down to verse 27. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But he held his peace. Some praised him. Some despised him. There are going to be people who praise you, and there are going to be people who despise you. There are going to be people who speak well of you, and there are going to be people who speak badly. There's, welcome to life. It's going to happen. Listen to what God says more than what people say. Eventually, Saul's downfall, his downfall will be he cares too much about what people think about him, and not enough about what God thinks about him. How we deal with praise and how we deal with criticism is so important. And we will unpack that more, I think, as we go on with Saul's story. But I want to close this morning by just saying what's important for us to hear loudest is what God says about us. Amen? It's what God says about us. That's reality. That's the reality. That's what anchors our souls. If everybody in the world says something and it's not true, it's not true. If God says something's true and everybody in the world says it's not true, it's true. God is reality. We are shifting sand. So here are just a few things that we hear through the gospel of, or through the filter of the gospel that our King, Jesus, speaks over us. He says, you are my child. I have adopted you. Ephesians 1 verse 5. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Jeremiah 31.3. And he says, nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.39. God is worthy of our trust. Hear what God speaks over you and go in your strength of God's word and his love over us. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. We're going to come back to that song. And as we do, it is well. I want to just encourage us, each one, to just, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what situation maybe God is kind of bringing to heart with this message. 
It might be an opportunity and you're afraid to step through that door. But you feel like God is leading you. Trust God. It might be a season that you want out of so bad. But it's not ending. Lean into that season with trust in God. Lean into the the belief, the confidence that there's a testimony on the other side of this trial. It might be that you're waiting. Let your roots of trust in God go deep during that time of waiting. 